Section 17 of the Works of Guy de Maupassant, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Works of Guy de Maupassant, Volume 3, by Guy de Maupassant. Section 17. Bertha my old friend one has friends occasionally who are much older than oneself my old friend dr benet had often invited me to spend some time with him at Riam, and as i did not know auvergne i made up my mind to go in the summer of eighteen seventy six i got there by the morning train and the first person i saw on the platform was the doctor he was dressed in a gray suit and wore a soft black wide-brimmed high-crowned felt hat which was narrow at the top like a chimney-pot a hat which hardly anyone except an auvergnier would wear and which smacked of the charcoal burner dressed like that the doctor had the appearance of an old young man with his spare body under his thin coat and his large head covered with white hair he embraced me with that evident pleasure which country people feel when they meet long-expected friends and stretching out his arm he said proudly this is auvergne i saw nothing except a range of mountains before me whose summits which resembled truncated cones must have been extinct volcanoes then pointing to the name of the station he said Riam, the fatherland of magistrates the pride of the magistracy and which ought rather to be the fatherland of doctors why i asked why he replied with a laugh if you transpose the letters you have the latin word mori to die that is the reason why i settled here my young friend and delighted at his own joke he carried me off rubbing his hands as soon as i had swallowed a cup of coffee he made me go and see the town i admired the chemist's house and the other celebrated houses which were all black but as pretty as knick-knacks with facades of sculptured stone i admired the statue of the virgin the patroness of butchers and he told me an amusing story about this which i will relate some other time and then dr bonnet said to me I must beg you to excuse me for a few minutes while I go and see a patient, and then I will take you to Chatel Guillon, so as to show you the general aspect of the town and all the mountain chain of the Puy de Dome before lunch. You can wait for me outside. I shall only go upstairs and come down immediately. He left me outside one of those old, gloomy, silent, melancholy houses which one sees in the provinces, and this one appeared to look particularly sinister, and I soon discovered the reason. All the large windows on the first floor were half boarded up with wooden shutters. The upper part of them alone could be opened, as if one had wished to prevent the people who were locked up in that huge stone trunk from looking into the street when the doctor came down again i told him how it had struck me and he replied you are quite right the poor creature who is living there must never see what is going on outside 
she is a madwoman or rather an idiot what you normans would call a niente it is a miserable story but a very singular pathological case at the same time shall i tell you i begged him to do so and he continued twenty years ago the owners of this house who were my patients had a daughter who was like all other girls but i soon discovered that while her body became admirably developed her intellect remained stationary she began to walk very early but she could not talk at first i thought she was deaf but i soon discovered that although she heard perfectly she did not understand anything that was said to her violent noises made her start and frightened her without her understanding how they were caused she grew up into a superb woman but she was dumb from an absolute want of intellect i tried all means to introduce a gleam of sense into her head but nothing succeeded i thought that i noticed that she knew her nurse though as soon as she was weaned she failed to recognize her mother she could never pronounce that word which is the first that children utter and the last which soldiers murmur when they are dying on the field of battle she sometimes tried to talk but she produced nothing but incoherent sounds when the weather was fine she laughed continually and emitted some low cries which might be compared to the twittering of birds when it rained she cried and moaned in a mournful terrifying manner which sounded like the howling of a dog when a death occurs in a house she was fond of rolling on the grass like young animals do and of running about madly and she used to clap her hands every morning when the sun shone into her room and would jump out of bed and insist by signs on being dressed as quickly as possible so that she might get out she did not appear to distinguish between people between her mother and her nurse or between her father and me or between the coachman and the cook i liked her parents who were very unhappy on her account very much and went to see them nearly every day i dined with them tolerably frequently which enabled me to remark that bertha they had called her bertha seemed to recognize the various dishes and to prefer some to others at that time she was twelve years old but as fully formed in figure as a girl of eighteen and taller than i was then the idea struck me of developing her greediness and by these means to try and produce some slight powers of distinguishing into her mind and to force her by the diversity of flavors if not to reason at any rate to arrive at instinctive distinctions which would of themselves constitute a species of work that was material to thought later on by appealing to her passions and by carefully making use of those which could serve us we might hope to obtain a kind of reaction on her intellect and by degrees increase the insensible action of her brain one day i put two plates before her one of soup and the other of very sweet vanilla cream i made her taste each of them successively and then i let her choose for herself and she ate the plate of cream in a short time i made her very greedy 
so greedy that it appeared as if the only idea she had in her head was the desire for eating she perfectly recognized the various dishes and stretched out her hands towards those that she liked and took hold of them eagerly and she used to cry when they were taken from her then i thought i would try and teach her to come to the dining room when the dinner bell rang it took a long time but i succeeded in the end in her vacant intellect there was a fixed correlation between the sound and her taste a correspondence between two senses an appeal from one to the other and consequently a sort of connection of ideas if one can call that kind of instinctive hyphen between two organic functions an idea and so i carried my experiments further and taught her with much difficulty to recognize meal-times on the face of the clock it was impossible for me for a long time to attract her attention to the hands but i succeeded in making her remark the clockwork and the striking apparatus the means i employed were very simple i asked them not to have the bell rung for lunch and everybody got up and went into the dining-room when the little brass hammer struck twelve o'clock but i found great difficulty in making her learn to count the strokes she ran to the door each time she heard the clock strike but by degrees she learned that all the strokes had not the same value as far as regarded meals and she frequently fixed her eyes guided by her ears on the dial of the clock when i noticed that i took care every day at twelve and at six o'clock to place my fingers on the figures twelve and six as soon as the moment she was waiting for had arrived and i soon noticed that she attentively followed the motion of the small brass hands which i had often turned in her presence she had understood perhaps i ought rather to say that she had seized the idea i had succeeded in getting the knowledge or rather the sensation of the time into her just as is the case with carp who certainly have no clocks when they are fed every day exactly at the same time when once i had obtained that result all the clocks and watches in the house occupied her attention almost exclusively she spent her time in looking at them in listening to them and in waiting for meal-times and once something very funny happened the striking apparatus of a pretty little louis the sixteenth clock that hung at the head of her bed having got out of order she noticed it she sat for twenty minutes with her eyes on the hands waiting for it to strike ten but when the hand passed the figure she was astonished at not hearing anything so stupefied was she indeed that she sat down no doubt overwhelmed by a feeling of violent emotion such as attacks us in the face of some terrible catastrophe and she had the wonderful patience to wait until eleven o'clock in order to see what would happen and as she naturally heard nothing she was suddenly either seized with a wild fit of rage at having been deceived and imposed upon by appearances or else overcome by that fear which some frightened creature feels at some terrible mystery and by the furious impatience of a passionate individual who meets with some obstacle she took up the tongs from the fireplace and struck the clock so violently that she broke it to pieces in a moment 
it was evident therefore that her brain did act and calculate obscurely it is true and within very restricted limits for i could never succeed in making her distinguish persons as she distinguished the time and to stir her intellect it was necessary to appeal to her passions in the mental sense of the word and we soon had another and alas a very terrible proof of this she had grown up into a splendid girl a perfect type of a race a sort of lovely and stupid venus she was sixteen and i have rarely seen such perfection of form such suppleness and such regular features i said she was a venus yes a fair stout vigorous venus with large bright vacant eyes which were as blue as the flowers of the flax plant she had a large mouth with full lips the mouth of a glutton of a sensualist a mouth made for kisses well one morning her father came into my consulting-room with a strange look on his face and sitting down without even replying to my greeting he said i want to speak to you about a very serious matter would it be possible would it be possible for bertha to marry bertha to marry why it is quite impossible yes i know i know he replied but reflect doctor don't you think perhaps we hoped if she had children it would be a great shock to her but a great happiness and who knows whether maternity might not rouse her intellect i was in a state of great perplexity he was right and it was possible that such a new situation and that wonderful instinct of maternity which beats in the hearts of the lower animals as it does in the heart of a woman which makes the hen fly at a dog's jaws to defend her chickens might bring about a revolution an utter change in her vacant mind and set the motionless mechanism of her thoughts into movement and then moreover i immediately remembered a personal instance some years previously i had possessed a spaniel bitch who was so stupid that i could do nothing with her but when she had had pups she became if not exactly intelligent yet almost like many other dogs who have not been thoroughly broken as soon as i foresaw the possibility of this the wish to get bertha married grew in me not so much out of friendship for her and her poor parents as from scientific curiosity what would happen it was a singular problem and i said to her father perhaps you are right you might make the attempt but but you will never find a man to consent to marry her i have found somebody he said in a low voice i was dumbfounded and said somebody really suitable someone of your own rank and position in society decidedly he replied oh and may i ask his name i came on purpose to tell you and to consult you it is monsieur gaston dubois de lucelet i felt inclined to exclaim what a wretch but i held my tongue and after a few moments silence i said oh very good i see nothing against it 
the poor man shook me heartily by the hand she is to be married next month he said monsieur gaston dubois de lucelet was a scapegrace of good family who after having spent all that he had inherited from his father and having incurred debts by all kinds of doubtful means had been trying to discover some other way of obtaining money and he had discovered this method he was a good-looking young fellow and in capital health but fast one of those odious race of provincial fast men and he appeared to me to be a sufficient sort of a husband who could be got rid of later by making him an allowance he came to the house to pay his addresses and to strut about before the idiot girl who however seemed to please him he brought her flowers kissed her hands sat at her feet and looked at her with affectionate eyes but she took no notice of any of his attentions and did not make any distinction between him and the other persons who were about her however the marriage took place and you may guess how excited my curiosity was i went to see bertha the next day to try and discover from her looks whether any feelings had been roused in her but i found her just the same as she was every day wholly taken up with the clock and dinner while he on the contrary appeared really in love and tried to rouse his wife's spirits and affections by little endearments and such caresses as one bestows on a kitten he could think of nothing better i called upon the married couple pretty frequently and i soon perceived that the young woman knew her husband and gave him those eager looks which she had hitherto bestowed only on sweet dishes she followed his movements knew his step on the stairs or in the neighboring rooms clapped her hands when he came in and her face was changed and brightened by the flames of profound happiness and of desire she loved him with her whole body and with all her soul to the very depths of her poor weak soul and with all her heart that poor heart of some grateful animal it was really a delightful and innocent picture of simple passion of carnal and yet modest passion such as nature had implanted into mankind before man had complicated and disfigured it by all the various shades of sentiment but he soon grew tired of this ardent beautiful dumb creature and did not spend more than an hour a day with her thinking it sufficient to devote his rights to her and she began to suffer in consequence she used to wait for him from morning till night with her eyes on the clock she did not even look after the meals now for he took all his away from home clermont chatel guion royer no matter where as long as he was not obliged to come home she began to grow thin every other thought every other wish every other expectation and every other confused hope disappeared from her mind and the hours during which she did not see him became hours of terrible suffering to her soon he used frequently not to come home at night he spent them with women at the casino at royer and did not come home until daybreak but she never went to bed before he returned she remained sitting motionless in an easy chair with her eyes fixed on the clock 
which turned so slowly and regularly round the china face on which the hours were painted she heard the trot of his horse in the distance and sat up with a start and when he came into the room she got up with the movements of a phantom and pointed to the clock as if to say to him look how late it is and he began to be afraid of this amorous and jealous half-witted woman and flew into a rage like brutes do and one night he even went so far as to strike her so they sent for me when i arrived she was writhing and screaming in a terrible crisis of pain anger passion how do i know what can one tell what goes on in such undeveloped brains i calmed her by subcutaneous injections of morphine and forbade her to see that man again for i saw clearly that marriage would infallibly kill her by degrees then she went mad yes my dear friend that idiot has gone mad she is always thinking of him and waiting for him she waits for him all day and night awake or asleep at this very moment ceaselessly when i saw her getting thinner and thinner and as she persisted in never taking her eyes off the clocks i had them removed from the house i thus made it impossible for her to count the hours and to try to remember from her indistinct reminiscences at what time he used to come home formerly i hoped to destroy the recollection of it in time and to extinguish that ray of thought which i kindled with so much difficulty the other day i tried an experiment i offered her my watch she took it and looked at it for some time then she began to scream terribly as if the sight of that little object had suddenly aroused her recollection which was beginning to grow indistinct she is pitiably thin now with hollow cheeks and brilliant eyes and she walks up and down ceaselessly like a wild beast does in its cage i have had bars put to the windows and have had the seats fixed to the floor so as to prevent her from looking to see whether he is coming oh her poor parents what a life they must lead we had got to the top of the hill and the doctor turned round and said to me look at Riam from here the gloomy town looked like some ancient city behind it a green wooded plain studded with towns and villages and bathed in a soft blue haze extended until it was lost in the distance far away on my right there was a range of lofty mountains with round summits or else cut off flat as if with a sword and the doctor began to enumerate the villages towns and hills and to give me the history of all of them but i did not listen to him i was thinking of nothing but the mad woman and i only saw her she seemed to be hovering over that vast extent of country like a mournful ghost and i asked him abruptly what has become of the husband my friend seemed rather surprised but after a few moments hesitation he replied he is living in royer on an allowance that they make and is quite happy he leads a very fast life as we were slowly going back both of us silent and rather low-spirited 
an english dog-cart drawn by a thoroughbred horse came up behind us and passed us rapidly the doctor took me by the arm there he is he said i saw nothing except a gray felt hat cocked over one ear above a pair of broad shoulders driving off in a cloud of dust end of section seventeen recording by james k white chula vista